Okay, let's dig into some really good news. Stop the world and want to get off, part eight. This is not the end times, part two. Uh, today I want to begin addressing some key issues. Some of you may be asking, what do you mean end times? I've not heard of this before. And that's a legit question because not everybody grew up in the traditional church where they, they watched those scary movies from way back when and you know, you had to say a prayer several times just so you could make sure you jump into the rapture or get the rapture when it comes and all that. So we're going to actually address the rapture today, and uh, I, I hope you'll enjoy this. But the reason we're doing this series, and the reason I'm getting into the end times thing, is because of this. The recipe for the soul. If I get my clicker working again, I don't know what it is. Um, we'll figure it out. Um, but so far, this is the recipe for the soul that I've been trying to talk through for the last eight weeks um, as a way to address the fears and anxiety that's been built through COVID. And with all the COVID-19 restrictions and frustrations, the mixed messaging, the bad messaging, the wrong messaging, you name it, it's all frustrating. And all of us have different tolerance levels. But there is one thing that is constant, and it is these things that's why I wanted to highlight. You see, fear sells really well. You talk about something that scares, and suddenly people go, oh, okay, and they, their attention's caught. But if it's good news, sometimes that's not as easy of a sell. But this is good news. Unfortunately, you know, this is what should be our primary attention. So we talked about the importance of being still, a whole message on that. We talked about praying in a quiet place just like Jesus. We talked about not being fearful or afraid and allowing fear to be your primary motivator. It's okay to have fear. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're constantly afraid of every little thing, constantly as a habit, that's not what we're designed for. So again, that's why the don't be afraid message is important. Then we talked about resting. The importance of working and living from a place of rest, um, which is abiding in Christ. Then beloved, this is, this is a big one, because dealing with anxiety, dealing with this COVID time, if you don't know God really loves you, here at Hope Fellowship, we, we know that already. That's like a pounded in, constant theme, but not everybody remembers this. So to, that message is really important to be reminded that we are loved. And then God loves everybody. It kind of took it to a new limit. Some people think God has conditions, <laughs> that he only loves certain people or loves a certain group of people more, and he, he kind of loves those people over there because he has to. It's his job, but that's not it at all. And when we took a look at this, God loves everyone. If we see everyone as God sees everyone, this world would be so much better. That would be the transformation of our entire world. And then we began to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and the reason we did that is because the, the church world has brought in a lot of rhetoric about end times. This might be the end times. Jesus is coming back soon. The rapture's coming. Uh-oh, the beast is going to come. We're going to take the mark of the beast and all these terms. To some of you, you may be saying, I've never heard of that stuff before. And that's okay. For those that have, I'm addressing this. Those that have not, I want to give you a quick rundown on this end time stuff. So to, last week we talked about Nebuchadnezzar's dream of hope, which is really important and I think a key foundation. And then today I want to talk about some end times perspectives and begin to hash out and um, give a better understanding, I think, of uh, uh, ways to view these topics. So let's get into this. There's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Uh, he had a dream of a 
statue that was built and a rock that was cut from a mountain without human hands came and smashed the statue. This is, in the book of Daniel, this is Jesus himself coming to this earth. And the kingdom has arrived. The ten, feet, ten toes represent the ten, uh, I believe, the ten uh, provinces of Rome. At a time, there was a lot of war, upheaval, and so on. I don't have time to get into the whole story, but uh, I, I will give a recommendation at, at the end of today's message of a teacher that knocks it out of the park for this topic. Much better than I can teach. Um, and it's like a four or five hour thing. But this is Jesus arriving and his kingdom grows. This rock grows and fills the whole earth. That means Jesus wins. That means good news wins. That means things are not getting worse. They're getting better. That might be really, <coughs> really hard for some people to believe. If you're a natural news follower or read the newspaper a lot, you're going to immediately put a wall up and say, hang on, the world's not getting better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, I'm going to beg to differ. I'm not going to get into the uh, arguments today on it, but I think there's a, a way to view, and I'm talking not even from a church world, not even from a Christian perspective. From a scientific perspective, we can see the world is progressively increasing and getting better and better. So there's hope, and I believe God's in charge of it all. And he's going to restore the entire earth. And I think it's going to be beautiful. All right. So some of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you, you may question. Go, wait a minute. I've already gotten some interesting comments on YouTube from people on Facebook that, you know, when I, with my title. They didn't even watch the video. They, well, one person watched half. But they, when I said this is not the end times, people are getting really upset. Says, what do you mean? That means you don't study your Bible. <coughs> I, <coughs> I laughed. I went, really? I don't study my Bible. <laughs> I just kind of chuckled. But honestly, if you've been taught one particular lens of how to understand Matthew 24, how to understand Revelation, how to understand Daniel, and all, a couple other verses that deal with potential end times things, um, if you've only been given one explanation, then that's all you have. There's no need to question it because the people who told you, you trusted well, what if there's more? That's why I like this quote. What you believe to be true, is it true? Or do you just believe that it's true because you were taught that it's true and never looked any further? It's the never looked any further that I want to challenge you on. Don't trust my words just because it's me. Obviously, you know me, so you know that you don't do that. <laughs> but trust the process of God continuing to expand your understanding. There are other ways to see things. In fact, when I went to Bible college, one of my, one of my professors, Glenn Boyce, I'll call him out because uh, I have tremendous respect for him. He taught us in systematic theology class, and this is important. He didn't give us the regurgitated answers. When I went in, there was a lot of Sunday school answers that were given when he asked, what about this, what about that? And people gave their answers that they learned in Sunday school, and he grilled them with the question, Why? constantly asked, why? Well, we didn't like that very much. Jen, remember that at all? We couldn't stand that. What do you mean, why? This, this is true, because, because, <laughs> you know, that's not good enough. So he wasn't just teaching us theology. He was teaching us how to think. That's more important than some of the details, per se, don't just take what's put on the table and eat it all and assume it's all true. 
you may find that most of it's true, and it's wonderful. And if you're getting older at all, like I am, <clears throat> oh, thank you. How'd you know I needed that? <laughs> Sorry. As you get older, you're going to discover that your understanding is going to expand. Rod, I'm going to assume that what you believe about Jesus and his love for all humanity is very different today than it was 10 years ago or even 20 years ago. Completely. But did you believe it 20 years ago? You did. Whatever it was you believed, you believed solidly from your heart, and you loved Jesus with a passion. I do know that. I loved Jesus with a passion growing up. I always had a propensity to want to know God better and better. And so I questioned, I questioned pastors of other denominations. The Catholic Church, I went and, and investigated. As a, as a kid, I wanted to know. I wanted more. And we keep growing. So on this topic of end times, I want to challenge you to open up your mind to receive another perspective and evaluate it. And in fact, you're going to find out this is a more ancient perspective than you ever thought. Here's, here's something you got to think about. You must ask, is this a new teaching? Because I hear people say, that's new teaching. We can't trust that. Well, no. This is not new. It may be new to you because your bubble has only been exposed to a certain flavor or categories of theology and teaching. There are other places around the world. In fact, one of the greatest gifts I've learned in the last, I'd say the last five years, is seeing how other believers around the world see who Jesus is, who God is, how they view heaven and hell, how they view end times, how they view the mystery of Jesus. Because I thought North America was the gift to the world for, for getting the gospel out, because that's how we've set ourselves up, and it's terrible. We are not the gift to the world. We are part of the worldwide love of God in the church of Christ. We are all part of that. None of us have the answer. We must listen and learn from each other and listen carefully. This is sometimes really hard to do because we don't like change. It's hard. We ought not to start a new denomination or group because of a variance on our teaching. There's so many denominations out there because they've, they've, they say, well, we agree on all this except for that. Well, we're leaving you because that little tiny sliver and they start a whole new group. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world and start a whole bunch of denominations. <laughs> of course not. He didn't say that. Interesting. Judge what you hear with love. And this is really important. Respect the work of study that has gone into the content of what you hear. You may end up disagreeing, but respect the work put into it. And this is where some of the Facebook comments and YouTube comments make no sense because nobody has that attitude. They're either, I'm wrong and they're right. That's it. It's us versus them. Please respect those that have gone and studied and gone deeper because you also may want to study and go deeper and discover a wealth of riches and truth in what you study. Does this message make Jesus bigger and better or weaker or worse? This is a really good question to ask. Is what I'm hearing going to make Jesus bigger and better or does it diminish him and make him lose power? Um, that's, a, that's an important question to ask because sometimes we're, if you don't ask that question, Sometimes, okay, here's what's going to happen. Does it make Jesus bigger or better? Is it possible that we don't understand God's love and how wide it really goes? Do you think he might be even more than we thought? 
Yeah, I think it is. Understand who the texts were written to, especially the, uh, the verses we're going to read. Who it was written to, when it was written, consider the history before and after. And does it make sense to the people it was written to? Please remember, these scriptures are written to a set of people, specific people. So if you know that, then you have to read it in context. And that's the study of hermeneutics interpretation of the Bible, and, and context is critical. All right, let's talk about end times. There's four major views. I'll go through these quickly. Um, but these are the four primary. There might be a couple other slivers of them, but these are four primary views of how the church world has understood end times. And when I say end times, it, most people think it's about the end of the world, existence of the cosmos, destruction of complete obliteration of, of our earth. Okay, that's, that's usually what people are talking about. So futurism, this is what the Western church typically believes. This is what I grew up with, what most of you have grown up with, and definitely what's going on in the news today with people saying, hey, Jesus is coming back soon. This is the futuristic view. It's dominant. It says that all the bad stuff in Scripture is going to happen in our future. Um, so, yeah, that's what that is. Inside this view, there are variations of this view. There's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Um, personally, I like pan-trib. Mike Warnke said that one. It'll all pan out the way God wants it to. <laughs> okay, I thought it was funny. All right, next. Then we have historicism. And I'll talk about the tribulation stuff in a moment. Historicism, uh, most Reformation pastors believe this in the 1500s to 1700s, that the book of Acts and Revelation 1 were the beginning of church, his, church history. It's like a church age. And right now we could be living in chapter 18. So it's a progressive uh, journey through, through the books. But that's not what the early church saw. Um, Idealism or spiritual view. This is a much newer concept that really it's all just an allegory. And they take the allegory to, a, to an extreme and say, you know, it's just Lord of the Rings. It's just a spiritual picture. And there is some truth to that. But it's the, the art that's being written about is actually showing history that I think has already happened. That's coming up next. Preterism or partial preterism. Sounds like a uh, dinosaur name or something. <laughs> but really, preterism is Latin for having already happened. And that this has happened in the first century. So this view of end times purports that most, if not or all, of all the prophecies that we've heard about, and we're going to talk about them, have already happened. And it's not in our future. That our future is actually more hope-filled. This is very, very different. And this is where I have come towards. This, this is where I'm landing because of comparing. I've had to do many years of study. In fact, it was about five years ago that I did my first sermon. And I was scared of teaching on end times. And if you look in the links below in the video, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see it in the description and on Facebook. The link to that series is there. So that, it's worth going back and watching it. But the extra link I'm going to talk about today, uh, you're going to want to go to and watch because it's, it's another great teacher sharing this stuff better than I am. So for 1,800 years, end times teaching was simple. They did believe it had already happened. And there's great evidence for that. Um, in fact, yesterday I was doing a lot of driving and I was listening to I think, four hours of a conference on end times. And oh my goodness, I got real excited there's so much detail that there's no way I can share with you. I can't share with you in half an hour all that detail. Yeah, if you're interested, you know, if, if I've tweaked your interest and you think, I don't know, but okay, you know, 
than worth looking at. Uh, your view of the end impacts how we live. And the reason it matters... <coughs> sorry. I don't have COVID. I'm dehydrated. So... Uh, the idea of the world, the way you view the end of the world matters because how you live will be determined by this. Here's an example. I grew up believing the whole world will be destroyed. A great Armageddon war is coming and will utterly destroy humanity and this world. How many have heard that, those that are sitting here? Okay. Well, there's no need then to take care of the earth. There's no need to take care of your ecology around you. We don't have to worry about clean water. It's all going to be destroyed anyway. Can you see where this is going? Your view of how you view the end matters because it's going to affect how you live now. And if you start to see there's more hope and good things are coming, you're going to be more motivated to take care of this earth and the environment and how you take care of it, and how you think, breathe, and the, the stuff you use. Like this is, it really does matter. And then la secondly here, or second last, is your view of the kingdom. How you view the kingdom of God. Some people think the kingdom of God is still coming. I'm suggesting it's here. Last week's message was on that. Jesus has arrived, and his kingdom has come. It's here now. It's not coming then what are we waiting for? That's a great question. What are you waiting for? Learn to live the Christ in you now who lives in you presently. He has come and he lives in you. Then lastly, Daniel chapter two, the dream. That's just the picture of that rock coming, the kingdom growing. It all happened already when Jesus came. So here's a traditional view of that tribulation. If you've heard the word tribulation, it's supposed to be a seven year of chaos and terrible things going on, and then you throw the rapture in, the tribulation, it's going to happen somewhere. So if you've seen this, here's a chart that most believers have seen in the Western world. So here's Christ, then we have the rapture, then the tribulation, seven years, and then Jesus comes back, and then there's a thousand years and so on. That's one view. But then if you're not sure where Jesus, you know, maybe he's not going to come at the beginning, now you throw the rapture halfway through. You'll go through really crappy time and then he'll rescue you. Or he's going to say, nope, you're going to go through the tribulation. It's going to be crappy for everybody and, uh, and on and on. These are, this is just a, a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib um, description of tribulation. But I'm, I'm going to beg you to consider that tribulation has already happened. It's not coming. It happened in 70 AD. When you start to do some history work and research what happened back then, your mind will be blown away, especially when you see the scriptures of Jesus warning about coming, what's coming. So if you grew up in the church world, do you remember seeing charts like this? This is supposed to describe the map of what's going to happen at the end. It's really hard to read. Uh, for you on the here sitting watching, it's too small. But I had this big pullout. It was like multiple pages, big honking charts of end times. And then we have one teacher saying, no, nah, I tweaked it. So you have all these different teachers with all these confusing charts. What's going to happen when starting with Christ? And then heaven and hell is the end destination. All right? That's, that's your typical sign. But this gentleman that I listened to yesterday... Lynn Hiles, he has a really awesome graph. I can send this out to you. Um, uh, but this is his picture. And do you remember last week I talked about the dream of uh, Daniel in chapter 2? 
of the statue? Well, this is a description of the 70 weeks uh, dream that Daniel had later. This is the fulfillment of what was coming. So Daniel was given a dream and God showed him what was going to happen in the next 490 years, I think it was, 460, I forget what it was. But uh, um, it was going to be exactly that time length. And you take from the time of that dream, 490 years, that's when Jesus came. It happened to almost exactly. It was like, what? You can't make this stuff up. But anyway, this is just a diagram. It's too close to look at, too confusing. I'm just trying to say there's another way to see this. Be teachable, not gullible. The rapture. <laughs> All right. As a kid, um, uh, uh, we didn't really do this, but we knew families that did. They went in the backyard and did rapture practice. <laughs> Trampolines, rapture practice. Seriously, there were schools of people and churches that were encouraging rapture practice. I'm not kidding. It was a real thing. The rapture is this idea that believers, if you say, Jesus, come into my heart, then you will be raptured and escape all the difficulty and tribulation of this world that they're going to go through. You get to escape. And if you saw those scary movies, Distant Thunder, Thief of the Night, you know, and they saw these clothes all nicely folded on a chair, they got raptured up, or, or the pilots that were raptured because they were Christian pilots in the plane crash, and all these really scary things. Oh, my, I grew up with that. I got saved so many times because I said the prayer, oh, just in case, dear Jesus, please come into my heart. It was, it was, it was scary. Well, here's what's funny about... If you scare a person into salvation, you have to scare them to stay in salvation. Your motivation, what brought you to Christ, is critical. Many have come through fear, but they've also come to see the love of Jesus bigger and better than what they were originally told, and now their motivation is the love of Christ. So that's where this whole escapism comes from. Back in 1988, this book came out, Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Okay? By the way, this stuff has been predicted over and over and over. 4.5 million copies were sold. Did it happen? No! So, 1989, the final rapture show. Okay, he wrote another book. Then, that didn't work. Okay, so now we have <laughs> rapture report 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. Okay? In 1995, it still sold 300,000 copies. What does that say? Like, does that show some gullibility? And here's the scary part. My family that I grew up in, we believed this stuff. And we just loved Jesus and we didn't question it. I think the best gift you can give your children and your church is to question. You got to. If it's an honest truth... It can withstand any question. All right? Really important. So this whole rapture idea. Where do we get this rapture idea from? Let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians. Time's flying. Shoot. Thessalonians. Beloved brothers and sisters, we want you to be quite certain about the truth concerning those who have passed away so that you won't be overwhelmed like, with grief like many others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we also believe that God will bring with Jesus those who died while believing in him. 
This is the word of the Lord. We who are alive in him and remain on earth when the Lord appears will by no means have an advantage over those who have already died, for both will rise together. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will appear with the declaration of victory, the shout of the archangel, the trumpet blast of God. He will descend from the heavenly realm and command those who are dead in Christ to rise. Then we who are alive will join them, transported together in clouds of people, and have an encounter with the Lord in the air. And we will be forever joined with the Lord. So encourage one another with these truths. This is where the primary verse that says, hey, we're getting raptured. All right, this is the, the biggie. The Greek word here for encounter uh, is, is not a verb uh, to go and meet, but it's a feminine noun to meet or have an encounter. In this context, the bride of Christ rising to be with Jesus to have an encounter or bridal meeting. So the idea of the encounter is not so much physically being raised up, but this is the Spirit of God encountering us, which is already happening in you. You and I are experiencing that now. We are encountering Christ in us. Well, here's some reasons why 1 Thessalonians 4 isn't about the rapture. First of all, the rapture is about a public, sorry, this scripture is about a public event, not a secret event. Every single thing you've been told about the rapture, it's a secret thing. It's going to come like a thief in the night, boom, and suddenly, gone, surprise, wake up and your partner's gone, you know. I I know I came home from church uh, or uh, came home from an after school thing and I wonder if the rapture happened. I had that fear many times growing up because nobody was home, no one was there. I said, did I get left behind? I honestly was afraid at many different times in my life because of that. Anybody here ever deal with that? Yeah, Rod, I'm sure you did. It's many watching you. I know that. Put a comment in here if you, if you, uh, you also had that same fear of, of, hey, I got left behind. Maybe my faith wasn't good enough. And so then you try harder to please. And then they come home and go, oh, can't tell anybody because it's real embarrassing, right? <laughs> can't tell anybody. There's also no message in this text of an escape, but it's instead speaking to the dead, the great cloud of witnesses. This is about the coming of the Lord. The early church saw this text as a coming of the Lord text, not of some escape plan. Another reason, prior to the invention of the rapture doctrine in the 1830s, all published commentaries interpreted 1 Thessalonians 4 as referring to the resurrection. You got to go back far enough. You got to go back even to the early church fathers. How did they understand this text? This rapture thing's under 200 years old. The idea of getting raptured and escape came from somebody's dream, and Darby started to write about it, and he put it in his Schofield Study Bible, and oh my goodness, it just went wild. That's how quickly study notes can go wild. Matthew Henry, along with, the, with nearly all of the commentators prior to John Darby, saw the obvious intention of this passage as referring to the resurrection of the dead at the final coming of Christ, not a secret rapture seven years prior to the resurrection. Matthew, this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I didn't see this until this week when, when I caught this part. I went, oh, my goodness. How would you, what would you think if, if I would say, I really hope I don't get raptured? Please don't rapture me. Wouldn't that be weird to say in light of all this fear stuff? Here's, here's why that statement is kind of fun. In Matthew 24, 
Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. And then he explains what happened in Noah's day. What happened in Noah's day? Owen, do you remember what happened? Did, did, was there like instant flood and boom? Or was there time and Noah built an ark and blah, blah, blah. The people were warned. But suddenly the rain came. It was, it was pretty quick. It was, it was a surprise. And Owen, who was left behind in that story? Noah. Noah was left behind. Think about that for a minute. All the bad people, whatever, if you want to use that term, they were taken away. All right? And same thing with um, Jesus referring to uh, the two men walking. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding flour, one will be taken. Uh, I'm suggesting here strongly that this is referring to the pressure and tribulation that was happening just before 70 AD, where the Romans were coming in and they were persecuting the believers. They were killing them. They were taking people in the middle of the night, just boom, dead, dead, dead. There's a lot of terrible things going on in this time. See, Noah stayed. Everyone else was taken away. Noah was left behind. Those that were taken away, it was about judgment, not about being righteous. And yet the rapture theory is about the righteous being taken, and it's actually backwards. <laughs> if you're going to play that game, the rapture is not happening. There is no rapture. It's not in the scripture. It's not alluded to in the scripture. You can have teachers talk about how it is alluded. Great. If you're going to do that, you also must study those teachers who show how it has nothing to do with the rapture. You can't just take one little pill and swallow and go, okay, that's what I believe. You've got it. This is too important. I grew up with this. I've been looking at this stuff for 30 years. End times is one of the most difficult things in my mind. And as soon as COVID-19 hit, it became the primary directive of fear to the church. It's the number one message being sent out. That, hey, this is the sign of the times. That some, um, uh, what's that thing that... Bill Gates is supposed to make. He's supposed to make an antidote with a chip in it. What was that called? Virus? Uh, vaccine. vaccine, thank you. I keep forgetting what it is. That a vaccine's supposed to be made and it's supposed to be able to track you and do all this stuff. Oh my goodness, people. If you're that gullible, great. The mark of the beast can't be put on you without you knowing and being willing, okay? You've got your chips in your credit card already. You've got your information everywhere else. What are you talking about? Don't, don't hyperventilate on this whole theory of fear. The mark of the beast I'm going to address next week. It's not some fancy chip that gets stuck in your forehead or your right hand. It's already happened, just before 70 AD, in those 40 years before 70 AD, the mark of the beast has already happened. All right? And who the beast is, that's fun too. We know who that is. It's not the Pope. It's not a president. It's not Gorgatov. All through the years, we've heard all these different leaves. Oh, that's the beast. He's the Antichrist. The Antichrist is not the Pope, not any leader, world leader. Trump's not the, the Antichrist. None of this stuff. That's all done already. Now, I'm pushing the limits for some people. That's okay. Uh, sometimes you won't want to study more if we don't push a little bit. But on, unfortunately, this is so big. I want you to get this. Here's some things I want you to look at as we wrap this up for today. Um, 
The links are pasted below in, in, the, in the YouTube link or in the Facebook posting. You'll see these links. There's the end time series I did a few years ago on, on summarizing all this, similar to what you're getting now. Um, and then Lynn Hiles did a study of last days. That's the title of the series on YouTube. So look up a study of last days. You can't read the link, but the link is in the post below. So just scroll down and you'll see the link. That series by Lynn is phenomenal. It explains everything I've just shared with you in much greater historical detail than I have time to do, okay? There are other teachers who do a much better job. Let them do it. He's a fantastic job. And he's not the only one. There's a lot of teachers teaching like this. All right, next one. Uh-oh, I lost control. Keith Giles has a book. Uh, I alluded to it last week. It's called Jesus Unexpected. It just came out. Ending the End Times to become the second coming. <laughs> this is going to be a really, I'd say it's going to expand your understanding in a really good, good way. This is the newest book I've come across. I've got it on order. Baxter Kruger wrote the foreword to this. That should tell you something for those of you that know Baxter. All right? This is not just some opinion of some person. Hey, he wrote a book. I think this is going to be a really, really good book. I've, I've spoken with Keith about this. In fact, uh, I did a, an interview with him uh, online, so make sure you go back and watch that one too. Then there's these other two books uh, from Lynn Hiles. He wrote The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and then he wrote God's Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> exposing the beast in revealing the Christ. Uh, two great books worth looking up. You can pause later and go back and watch and see what these titles are. Uh, two other books, Jesus Delayed by a Canadian author. Uh, well, actually, he's Norwegian, but he lives in Canada, in Victoria, B.C. Janego Gobranson, I've been to his home a couple times. A guy who, okay, it's his fault that I'm expanding my understanding of this end times. I got to his house a couple years ago, and I got there early. He says, Mike, I want you to sit down and watch a show, a, a video with me. And I didn't realize it was an hour and a half long. I went, oh, I'll be nice. You're my host. <laughs> and so I sit down and I'm watching and listening. And suddenly I move up. I'm at the edge of my seat, knees, hands. I'm fidgeting, ADHD. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And here's why. These two books, this one here I read almost 20 years ago maybe 25 years ago. It was introduced to me by a guy in Georgetown, a pastor. It's called The Great Tribulation by David Chilton. David Chilton passed away in his 40s. Um, it's unfortunate. He was a great writer. Uh, he also did a book called The Days of Vengeance, an exposition of the book of Revelation. Really good book on Revelation. This book showed me some hope that I'd never heard before about end times. So I, I read one chapter to Lori before we went to bed one night, and... Uh, as we talked about, we realized this is almost hope, like good news. This is not what we've been told. Well, then I left the book alone for many years, probably 20 years. Then I meet Jan Egel Galbranson and sits me down. And what was started long ago suddenly woke up in me and I had a whole new hunger for, okay, now I want to understand this end time stuff because there's too many people teaching this and they're saying the same fearful stuff. There's got to be more. And I've already been exposed to something better. Is it true? So now I have to go back and study and say, is this actually true? Is the content of this book historical? Can it be shown? Can it be proven? 
I'm not going to believe it just because I respect the teacher. Really. And then later I met through Jan Egel, I met this, this gentleman, Martin Trench. I spoke at his church in um, Stony Plain, uh, Alberta. Victorious Eschatology, A Partial Preteristic View, and Harold Eberly. Great book also. Same kind of content. You're going to see a lot of overlap, you know, echoing the same kind of message. And then, of course, um, these two books. And then there's this, the last one that David Chilton wrote was called Paradise Restored. Remember that book, Paradise Lost? <laughs> Paradise Restored. And then lastly, uh, this will then force you to look at some spiritual uh, concepts and the idea of Satan. Rene Girard has written a book called I See Satan Fall Like Lightning. Uh, the book just came in. Uh, one of my really good friends read it, and he, his jaw dropped to the floor as he read this book. He said, this is the first time this makes so much more sense than just the typical Sunday school answers we've been given. Worth reading. I've given you a lot of resources here. This is good, good stuff. Well, that's it for today. We're going to wrap this up. Um, and next week, I'm going to get into uh, what the beast is, the mark of the beast, uh, and just a couple of those things. And that's it. And then we're done, the end time stuff. Because you can go watch Lynn Hiles' series and get a whole much, much deeper series on this stuff. That's it for Sunday morning. So next week will be the final. And uh, I think it'll be good because there's a lot of stuff that still needs to be talked about. And I think you'll enjoy it. If you have a comment or question, of something you're wondering about at the end times, send me the question. I'm not the answer guy, but if it's part of what I've uh, already been exposed to, I'll happily bring that in, especially if it's not on my list right now. But I'd like to hear from you. Just put a, email me or message me on Facebook. Uh, I won't read the comment. I won't be able to get the comments in, uh, and follow that up. So don't do that there. Do it privately. I think that's it. Heavenly Father, whoo-wee, you are the teacher not us humans. You use humans, but you are the great teacher using the Holy Spirit. I pray that each of us can come to you with this content and say, Father, what's true here? Is there something I haven't been told? Is there a better way to understand? Is your grace involved from the beginning, middle, and end? Or is there a time of, uh, where you kind of take your hands off for just seven years? Or are you grace all the way through? Father, show me. May we ask God to be the revealer to us. And may his peace confirm what is true for us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.